You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Hey, we're in the midst of a series entitled Postcards. And I know many of you, if you're younger, you don't, may not know what a postcard is. But if you go on a vacation and you go into a, hey, how are you? You go into a gift shop. Um, in the gift shop, they have these all these little trinkets and stuff. And then the way back in the back, there's these things that are like changing colors and turning yellow. And uh, they have pictures and you can write notes on the back of them. And so your people can remember that you went to, um, what is that place in South Dakota with the four presidents? Yeah, Mount Rushmore. I've been there, but I can't ever remember. I'm like the four dead guys on the mountain. Um, you know, like, so you can send that there. The pictures don't look any better. Like, our pictures actually look really good when we went. Uh, my youth intern that was with me, and I only had one child at the time, so that tells you it's at least five years ago when we did this. And, um, like, you go and you see that, and you're just like, oh, that's cool. There's four guys on the side of a mountain. That's awesome. Now what, right? I mean, you just drove hours and hours and hours and we actually drove during that time. Have you ever heard of this motorcycle thing where all these people go to that place up north? <clears throat> Sturgis, yeah. Yeah, like I had never heard of that before. And we went, and we went that weekend. Yeah, it was, it was an awesome weekend <laughs> to go see the four dead guys. I, we literally, I think we got the last hotel room in, up there. Yeah, we weren't even in Sturgis. We were like within 100 miles of surges. We got to meet some interesting people. I won't tell you all of them. You can ask me later offline who all we got to meet. But um, it was a good time. So anyway, but you can put all of that in a postcard, right? And you have the picture of the place and then you just write the deals. And what you're doing is you're sharing your experience, your moment. And somebody gets it and they're like, oh, that's cool. And you can never really put somebody in the picture. If they weren't there on the trip with you, they, they just don't share the same bond. And that's one of the things, too, that I learned as a youth pastor is there were sometimes people would say, hey, that your group or that group is a click. I'd be like, mm, let's let's pull that back just a little bit. Like your kid doesn't come on Wednesday, doesn't come on Sunday, didn't come to camp. They came one time in six months. And these kids have been here on a regular basis and they just experienced a high at camp and on a mission trip. I can't insert your kid into an experience and into a picture that they're not a part of. And so kids are sharing a life experience and exciting about, excited about what God's doing. And so that doesn't make them a click. That just makes them a group that's experienced something. And now your child wants to be a part of that. And so that's much of life. And for sure, that is what it looks like when there's moments that you have mountaintop experiences with people. And you experience those, those moments and then you come down from the mountain and you begin to share those things and people are like excited. And they're also, it can be a moment that pushes people away. And so this series of postcards are like that. They're snapshots of the gospel. They're snapshots with God. And, and to not be in those moments, you can't fully experience it, but we can appreciate it and we can learn from it. And so that's what I want us to do over these next few weeks in these postcards is to to jump into some pictures, to jump into some moments in history where someone thought it was important enough to write about it and to share it with us so we can glean some truths from those things, even though we're not in the picture. You got me? So if you have your Bibles, the next postcard we're going to jump into is the book of Philemon. Now, I've heard it pronounced all different kinds of ways. 
uh, and the best one that I've heard was filet mignon. And I'm like, listen, that's going to be a really good steak going down. But um, let's stick with Philemon. And now Philemon is a letter, all right? And so there's 66 books in the Bible, 27 in the New Testament. And most of the New Testament is letters. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are Gospels. And the reason they're Gospels is because they're written about the life of Jesus. It's experiences with Jesus and stories of him. And then the others are letters and stories afterwards. And so most of those are letters. And most of the letters were written by a man named Paul. And Paul wrote most of his letters specific to a church, to some of the situations and circumstances that they were going through. So he had gotten a letter from that church and said, hey, Paul, here's some things that, that we're, we're struggling with, that we're thinking about. And Paul would then write back to them and say, hey, here's the solution. Here's the biblical answer. Here's the response that you should have to that situation or those circumstances um, in your city, in your place, and all of that. This is a unique letter that Paul wrote because Paul wrote this letter to a person, and that person is Philemon. Now, Philemon was a wealthy businessman in the city of Coloss, which he was the lead pastor of the church at Colossians. So most scholars believe that Paul is writing this letter to Philemon as the lead pastor, as he's also writing the letter of Colossians to the church at Coloss, okay? And so, but he has a specific word that he needs to share with the lead pastor Philemon at the church of Coloss. And so he may have like stapled it on, but said, hey, listen, this is only for Philemon, all right? And so Paul wrote this letter to Philemon, who's a wealthy businessman in Coloss. And then the other character that we get to hear about in this book is a man named Onesimus, now, his name means useful, which will come in handy here in just a moment. You'll see, see that. But Onesimus is a slave who we understand by inference that he has stolen money and stolen possessions and taking something of value. He didn't have permission to leave the house of Philemon, and he winds up in Rome. Now, the assumption would be for us as a slave, he's leaving a situation that was hard or whatever it is, and he wanted to get away, and so he steals to create a new life for himself, so he goes to Rome. But for whatever reason, or however, he ends up encountering Paul. Now, he would have known Paul because Paul would have been at the church at Coloss, right? So he would have known him and met him and heard stories about him from Philemon and the rest of the household. And so what I imagine is, is that Onesimus, for whatever reason, ends up in Rome and whenever he gets to the end of himself, whether that's his finances, possessions, whatever it was, and just his inability to make it in the city of Rome, he hears that Paul is there, and that's a place of safety. That's someone that he knows by character, that he knows by whatever. And so he goes and he finds Paul and talks to him. And as he begins to talk to him, Paul finds out that he's a slave, a runaway slave from his friend Philemon, who's the lead pastor at Coloss. And so in the midst of that conversation, Onesimus becomes a follower of Jesus because of his discussion with Paul while Paul is in prison in Rome. So Paul is in prison, and prison for Paul is a little bit different than what we currently envision prison. For Paul, because he was a Roman citizen, he had certain rights and privileges. And so before he went to defend his case before the Roman court, he was allowed to be under house arrest. And so it was, in those days, they called it free custody. In other words, because he was a Roman citizen, if he had a house in Rome, he could stay there under house arrest. Or if he didn't have a house, he could borrow one or whatever. And so we believe that Paul rented a house 
and that guys stayed with him and they studied or whatever. And so he kind of had an ankle bracelet. And whenever he wanted to go to Starbucks or whenever he wanted to go to HCB, he punched whatever he needed to punch to go do those things. And he could kind of come and go loosely while still being watched. Does that make sense? So a little bit different situation than normal. And so here's Onesimus, a new Christian, a slave that's run away. He sees Paul. Paul's in house arrest. And then the other piece that I want you to get is the Roman social culture and structure is radically different in that day. And so there were obviously slaves, but most people were living hand to mouth. In other words, they were living day by day, moment by moment, and life was very hard and very short. And so they would work and then they would go to the market and buy whatever, take whatever cash they had, and they would buy food for the day. If you had power, that meant that you owned a farm or you had some land that you were in a, you're a bureaucrat or you were a military leader. And most of the time, military leaders, even in that day, like you bought your position so that you could have more authority in that way. And those slaves were an important part. Now, slaves in that day were different than slaves that we have an understanding of in American culture. And slaves in Paul's day, you couldn't distinguish them by race, religion, education, or work. Okay, we're here in the States. It was... Entirely different. Many slaves during Paul's day and Jesus' day lived seemingly normal lives. Even sometimes free people would sell themselves into slavery so that they could find a job of more import and meaning than what they currently were doing. Now, obviously, treatment of slaves varied, right? And slaves, if you were a slave, you were never equal um, politically or socially, even though there were times that slaves actually had more money and more education than their owners. But they had sold themselves in so that they could be raised up with the society over time. And so they said, hey, I will be sold in for three, five, seven years so that I can raise myself in status. Because there was this thing called patronage. And patronage was this idea, if you were someone who was on lower status, if you knew someone that was of higher status, they could help you in conjunction. They could help you raise up the ladder socially and politically. And what that meant was this person that was of higher status, you would usually bribe them somehow or another. And this person of higher status would send a letter on your behalf to someone. And they would say, hey, will you raise this person up to a position in the military? Will you give them a job in the government? Would you, whatever it is, so it would raise them up. Here's a certain amount of money or here is a position of higher rate for you. So you will gain something while this other person gains something. So it's a win-win type of situation. But that was one of the main ways that you could gain in society. We still see that somewhat today, don't we? Letters of reference, and sometimes there's a little car on the side so you can play football there or something. I don't know what happens, but anyway. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philemon. It's right around Hebrews, First and Second Timothy, toward the end of the New Testament. And here's what it says. This letter is from Paul, who is an apostle, by the way. So there's only a few apostles. Apostles were people that had been in the presence of Jesus and had experienced his ministry. The exception is Paul. Paul had a one-time encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And it was an encounter face-to-face after the resurrection. So it was a unique experience. And Jesus himself commissioned Paul as an apostle. So the original disciples, plus the guy the disciples rolled dice for to see who was going to be the next guy, who they had to be in the presence of Jesus for a while, and then also 
Paul, okay? So a very small group. I know sometimes people nowadays, they call themselves the reverend pastor, such and such apostle. That's man-handed. That's not the apostleship that what, um, of the Bible, okay? So here's the letter from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Jesus Christ and also from our brother Timothy. So Timothy, this is the guy that First and Second Timothy are written about. So here Paul has got Timothy next to him. They've been some training. They're doing seminary in prison kind of a deal. And so Timothy's with him. And most believe Timothy's actually writing and Paul's kind of dictating this. It says this, I am writing to Philemon or Philemon Young, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Aphia, which is his wife, and to our fellow soldier, how would y'all say that word? Archippus. Archippus. Is he cheap? I don't know. Archippus. Some think he's the son. It doesn't matter. He's mentioned in Colossians as struggling with his faith. And to the church that meets in your house. So here in the early church, there weren't buildings being built. So what would happen is someone would announce their faith in Christ. And most of the early church Christians were actually Jews. So they would have gone to the tabernacle or to the temple on Saturday for worship. And then as followers of Christ, they would then on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday, then gone to worship. But work has started on Sunday. I was in Israel recently. Sunday, it starts, right? It's, it's going. It's a full time. And then they would also, during the middle of the week, they would gather together in homes and share a meal and talk about what Pastor Chris had preached about the day before or whoever the pastor was. And so we actually do that here. Throughout the week, right, we meet on Sunday. We don't meet on Saturdays yet. We meet on Sundays. And then during the week, we do this thing called community groups where you gather in a house, you share a meal, or you share snacks, or you share dog treats, whatever you do in your group. Are y'all with me? Okay. You share treats, whatever it is, and then you talk about how the scriptures that you've been learning about apply to your life and are transforming your heart, your soul, and your mind. And that is biblical and it's something we should all be a part of because it's, as Paul talks about here in a moment, it strengthens us and transforms our koinonia, which is our fellowship, and it strengthens and, and, and boldens our compassion for one another and for our neighbors. So verse 3, that was our little advertisement for community groups. Verse 3, may God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. And grace is... Like no perfect people, hey, the grace for that and peace that amidst the craziness of the world, that you have a settled heart, that no matter what happens around you, that you can have joy and peace because the cornerstone doesn't move. Man, as we were singing that song, sorry, I'm going to have a little rabbit trail. As we were singing that song, I was thinking about the moment in Israel a few weeks ago where we're standing at the bottom of the temple, okay, which was built 0 AD. All right? And there was a... There's multiple stones, I'm rabbits. From that corner to this corner, that tall, there was multiple stones that were the foundation stones. Six foot thick at least. All right? That is the cornerstone. And guess what? It is shoved into and matched into the mountain. The foundation will not move. And so that's the image that I have Whenever we sing the cornerstone is that that is moved into an immovable thing. So the house may shake and you may feel it. And and actually generations of people have come and have pushed over other tops of it. But the foundation still stands and can be rebuilt. And so that's that cornerstone. 
of peace that we can have. Verse 4. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon. Why? Because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. Now listen, we understand that he's a wealthy man, but the thing that Paul recognizes most about him and that the the rippling effect of his life is not his wealth, but that his faith is having an impact on those around him and himself. And that as his dash comes to an end, his epitaph is, and hopefully this should be our epitaph, is that you are known for your love for God and for how you love people. And so that's the ripple effect that Paul's getting about the pastor and the leader at the church at Coloss. Because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love of God's people. I'm praying that you will put into action. Now, if you underline in your Bible, this is a good word to underline, put into action or whatever your says. It's that word koinonia. The generosity that comes from your faith as you understand, experience, and all the good things we have in Christ. So again, this, this I'm going to jump around a little bit. That understanding and experience is the word gnosis, which is an experiential knowledge. So it's this idea of you can sit at the edge of a swimming pool and you can look at it. You don't put your feet in it. You just stand on the edge and you're looking at it and you're like, it's blue. It looks like it has ripples. And, you know, you can kind of describe it. But until you jump into the swimming pool, you haven't experienced it. And this is what Paul is talking about. This is what Scripture continually talks about is faith in Christ is to be experienced and understood, not as standing on the edge of the pool looking at it and being able to describe it, but to jump in and to be fully immersed in it. Because some of you, like me, have jumped into a swing pool and you've experienced it and you go, woo, right? Because it is cold and it's a full body experience. And you're like, yes. And you just get your hair going and you're like, yeah. That is faith, experience, and knowledge. Is that people can say to you, hey, Chris, how was the pool? And you're like, man, it was cold, but refreshing. And I'm going to have green stuff in my hair now. Because I've been in, you've, you've gotten the whole experience. Because I keep hearing about your faith. I want you to put into action the generosity and the experience. This word koinonia... There's a word that if you've been around church long enough, you've probably heard it. And it's this generic idea of fellowship. But what Paul wants us to see and understand is a little bit more than just fellowship. It's this idea that we have a shared experience, which is our faith in Christ, that we've had this once in a moment. So it's this past experience once in a moment that you've experienced it. And so everyone that shares this experience lives in koinonia. And so you have this past experience, but we're also living together in a continual experience of living out of this and fullness. And every single day, as Josh talked about, being sanctified, looking and thinking and acting and loving and smelling a little bit more like Jesus than we did at this first moment than we said yes to Jesus. And that we do that together. But there's sometimes there's this modern idea that you can be a Christian and not be in community. That is false. Because koinonia is essential. That we have this shared experience and we gather together in community. And that each one of us is important. That each one of us has worth. That each one of us has value. That each one of us, no matter where we're at, our koinonia moment may have been last week. You know what? I have things to learn from you. My koinonia moment has been a few years ago. 
and I've studied a lot and had a lot of education and a lot of different experiences, but in Christ, there are things for me to still learn from you. You have gifts, you have experiences, you have knowledge. God is doing things in you that he hasn't done in me yet. And so as we do koinonia together, we sharpen each other, we mature each other to become and to look and to think and to act more like Jesus. And so this is what Paul is talking about here. He's saying, listen, put into action that kind of koinonia. May you have a generous heart through koinonia. For God calls each one of us into the congregation, even at cross point, for a specific purpose, a specific time, a specific reason. And we're to be here together to sharpen and build each other up. For Christianity, one of the main things about Christianity What should be transformed is the way that we see people and the way that we treat people. Because if we understand that all of us are spiritually bankrupt, when we come to the cross, none of us have anything of worth and value to bring to the cross that gives us salvation. So that all of us are spiritually bankrupt. And so the cross is equal ground. The only thing that we have is who God has made us uniquely in the gifts that he gives us when we say yes to him. And he uniquely gifts us and he's put us in this place so that we can sharpen each other and build each other up and mature each other. And that the partnership marks out, the koinonia partnership marks out a church. And so here Paul is telling Onesimus, who's sitting here watching him and listening to him share this letter that's about to go to Philemon. And he's saying, listen, you have a church that's growing and active, but this is a critical moment. What is your koinonia going to look like? Onesimus You've been reconciled to God, but it may be just as important that you go back to Philemon and be reconciled to him. Because think about how that would radically change the church. That here's a man who was a slave that ran away, that stole from him, ran away, spoiled all those possessions. But now, because of that experience, has said yes to Jesus. Now he goes back. Not knowing how Philemon is going to respond. See, we get to look back and see. But Onesimus is saying, I'm coming back. I've been reconciled to the God the Father through Jesus. Now you and I need to be reconciled. And listen, in that world, Onesimus had no rights. He could have been flogged. He could have been beaten. He could have been executed. So he's not sitting over here going, oh, those are good words, Paul. He may be, but he's also saying, Paul, this could be my life. Paul, I would rather stay in prison with you than to find freedom Philemon. Verse 7. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Again, this refreshing is one of... You're ultimately thirsty and you're quenching and you get that refreshment. And then this word hearts is not the cardia heart that we have a tendency to think about, but it's this really cool word that I'm going to teach you and you're going to go around saying it all week. Okay. The word is splonka. Splonka. Can y'all say that? Splonka. Now it's even cooler when you know what the word actually means. It's your guts. So your guts go splonka. 
All right. Have you ever had those emotions and you're, you're, you get butterflies? So that's, this is that part, okay? So this is that, your inner part that you're moved to something because your splanka is feeling, all right? And so here Paul is saying, listen, I want you to have koinonia fellowship, but I also want you to experience splanka compassion. That this is a compassion that's not pity, but it's this move towards someone because you see that they're in need and that you're responsible to love them. In other words, because you see them, you're responsible to love them. And so this word is used here and it's used two other places in the New Testament. Luke uses it in two ways. One, whenever the good Samaritan is walking along and he sees the man on the side of the road who's been beaten. And whenever he sees him, he's moved by him and has splonka for him, compassion. He's moved toward him to heal him and to take care of him, right? He even takes him to an inn and says, I don't know what it's going to cost me, but I will pay for it. That's that type of splonka. The other time is whenever the son disinherited himself from the father, took all of his riches, walked away, had a really good time, finds himself in the pig's pen and enjoying the leftovers of the pigs and says, listen, my father's house has got to be better than this. And so he comes back to the father's house with less than he left with, with actually nothing. And the father's on the front porch with the light on. It's Motel 6, I guess. The light's on. And he looks out and what's he see? He sees his son who disinherited him, took half of the inheritance, and ran away with it. And there he sees him coming. And the father's splonka was moved to receive him and to treat him like a son, to re-inherit him, to give him the father's coat, to have the feast. That that's the compassion that Paul is saying is that Philemon, I hope that when you see Onesimus come over the horizon and you read this letter, that you have koinonia for him and splanka, that you're moved to compassion. I know what you rightfully can do, but would you splanka him? Because he's no longer your slave, but he's your brother in Christ. And this compassion is both the capacity to love and the ability and experience to receive that love. Verse 8. That's why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand in the name of Christ because it's the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer to simply ask you. In other words, Philemon, because of the character in Christ that I'm hearing about you, I'm just going to ask you. I believe that you're going to give it. Consider this as a request for me. Paul, an old man, and now as a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you. Show kindness to my child, Onesimus. See, he's digging in a little bit more. One of the things is that Paul is actually the father to Philemon as well. Because Paul had led Philemon to Jesus. And so a rabbi and their student had familial language. So it was a father and a son. And so Paul is drawing on language that Philemon would have understood is that Paul is his spiritual father. And the same spiritual father that he has is now the spiritual father to Onesimus. So again, he's closing that ranks around Koinonia and saying, listen, we have strong 
bonds together. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Now here's an interesting play on words that Paul has for us. Onesimus' name means useful. Okay? So now read this next passage with me and see the play on words. It even comes across in English. Mr. Useful hasn't been of much use to you in the past. But now Mr. Useful is very useful to both of us. Because he's new in Christ. His uselessness is now discarded And he's brought into great worth and value because of his new name and purpose. I am sending him back to you as Mr. Useful. And with him comes my own Splanka. My own compassion. Remember, Onesimus is probably standing right here. And he's like, go get him, Paul. I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news And he would have helped me on your behalf. Now, again, here Paul uses a unique word. Normally, they would have used the word doulos, which carries with it help as a slave meant enslaved. So that's the word for slave. Normally, he would have said, hey, he would have doulos me on your behalf. But he uses the word diakonos, which we get our word deacon. So here Paul is saying he's here in chains and he would have. Do loss, but now that he's my brother in Christ, he's a deacon. He does it not out of obligation, but out of Splanka and Koinonia. He's one of the body and of the church. But I didn't want him to do anything out of, I don't want to do anything without your consent. I want you to help the Akinos because you are willing, not because you were forced. It seems that you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. Koinonia moment that lasts for an eternity. He's no longer slave, but now he's brother. And we walk together. That, that moment, yes, what, what Onesimus meant for bad, to do his own thing and to pursue his own right, God changed him. And now in this Koinonia moment, y'all walk together for all eternity. He's no longer a slave, a doulos, but a diakonos of the gospel to you. He's more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now will he mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. In other words, since he's now in Christ, or actually, Philemon, because you're in Christ, can you look upon men and women as objects anymore? One of the things that current culture, again, seems to push back on is they don't understand the gospel. And one of the things that the current culture says is, listen, if you're of a certain level of intelligence and of education, surely you cannot be a Christian. Surely you cannot be a follower of Jesus because Jesus and the gospel and people that believe in the Bible, they believe in some of these weird things. And some of the things that they 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 put down women. They put down other people and they have all these weird ideas. And I'm like, listen, if you think that you've never read the scripture, Jesus created a revolution and transformed all of the things that we talk about today where people have gained and are gaining freedom. It's because of scripture and Jesus leading the way. 
One of the stories that we kind of pass over is the story of Mary and Martha working. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha is working. Now, the normal place for Mary and Martha is to be working in the kitchen. Sorry. In the day. That's just how it was. However, the part that we kind of skim over sometimes is that Martha is sitting at the feet of Jesus and Jesus is a rabbi. Women in that day were not allowed to sit at the feet of the rabbi and to hear the teaching. They had other things to do because that was a man's job in a man's place. And so here Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and Jesus says, this is the place, Mary, that you should be. Martha, get out of the kitchen. Come here and sit. This is the more important task. And so Jesus didn't put women down. He raised them up. He raised up the poor. He raised up the outcasts. He helped lepers and bring freedom to them. He changed and revolutionized not a social gospel, but a gospel that changed socially. That you don't need a patronage system. Jesus, as we be transformed from the inside out, we see people and care for people and think for people and love people differently. Then there's not a ladder. There's equal footing at the cross. That all of us are spiritually bankrupt. That none of us have anything to bring that could woo Christ to giving us salvation. Verse 17. So if you consider me your partner in koinonia, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. And then here, even in the English, it goes to big writing because Paul, Timothy's been probably been writing for him. And Paul kind of says, take it and he turns it around and he begins to write in his own hand and he writes bigger so that it emphasizes and it actually makes this a legal document. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, and I'm of a sound mind, right? I will repay it. In other words, this is a promissory note. Hey, listen, I don't know how much Onesimus has taken from me, whatever it is, you charge me interest. I will repay it. Paul's in prison. He can't repay it. But he's like, you put it on my tab. I will be responsible for it. And then he kind of slides in this next little part, which I think is funny. And I won't mention that you owe me (laughs) the most valuable thing you have, which is your soul. So if you need to charge me, you charge me. But me reminded when they charge me, the most valuable thing you have, my son, your soul, you owe to me. For yes, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. One more thing. Please prepare a guest room for me for I am hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. He's in prison. He's hoping to get out. 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, is there in the house with them. He sends you greetings. And then here we see Mark, the young man who'd been on a missionary journey that he kicked out. Now he's hanging out with them. Aristarchus. Demas and Luke, the guy that wrote Luke and Acts, they're all there together. That would have been kind of a cool party, wouldn't it? With those guys to hear the stories. And then he closed out and he says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So my prayer is, for each one of us individually and for us as a church, may you know Koinonia Fellowship. 
May you know that someone or some peoples know you and are doing life with you and are not there to judge you but to hold you accountable and to stand you up and to do whatever is necessary to bind wounds when wounds need to be bound, to give you encouragement when you need encouragement, to give you a battery for your flashlight when you feel like it's just too dark to keep going. Whatever you may need, you need koinonia. That's why I think there's not enough seats. There's not enough services because we all need one another. This world is crazy and we need people we can depend upon. We need koinonia. And I believe one of the biggest things that a church can be about and should be about is that we splonka. That we love people with our guts out. That we literally are so compassionate. Have you ever been squeezed so hard that you're like, you feel like you're going to explode? That you've been loved that hard? That's how hard we should love. That we literally squeeze the guts out of people. Because we've been moved to compassion. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that your inmost parts were moved to compassion with us. That you saw and have seen each of us and you know us intimately. And as you stood on the front porch of heaven, you saw us running to you with less than nothing. And you ran to us. Father, I pray that we would be that kind of people as well that we would model the type of love that we've experienced in you. May we run to those that have less than nothing in Christ and to share the bounty and the riches of the gospel of Jesus so that we can coin a knee together and bring our talents, our gifts, our personalities, all that you've given us in Christ so that for you, we can be the most beautiful bride of Christ. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.